Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Just getting started. A lot of them don't start at all because of these myths that they hear. Um, and Dion has put together an amazing list, and I'm like, yes, 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 for all of these. So, Dion, start us off. Let's talk about the first real estate myth. Okay, I'm excited to do that. I'm glad to be here uh, so we can help cover for Mike while he's off gallivanting. <laughs> I kind of think I understand what viewers feel when they meet someone like us in person. We met today, it's the first time we've interacted but I've watched your content, know your story. Um, it's it's an odd feeling to meet yeah, somebody exactly. that you kind of know, but you don't. So like anybody who's met us from our channel, I get it. <laughs> so when it comes to real estate, there's a lot of myths. And, some, and like you said, some of these myths will stop people from starting completely or start them on the wrong path. And the first one that I want to talk about, and I kind of do this out of respect for Charlie Munger who passed away yesterday. And this is from... Charlie and Warren Buffett have been partners for decades, and Warren Buffett often mentions being diversified, and that's a way to protect your wealth. And Charlie clarifies it by saying, you don't diversify to become wealthy. You become wealthy by focusing on one asset class, and then once you're wealthy, then you diversify. So I meet a lot of new investors who are trying an HSA, a retirement account, some crypto, some stocks, some dividend stocks, an uh, index portfolio some real estate, trying to grow a side hustle business. And they're so spread thin that I don't think anything would ever actually take off. You need to figure out which is that asset class that excites you, that you could focus on, that you have a skill set that matches, and then build that until you become wealthy. And once you are financially free and wealthy, now you can diversify to protect that wealth. You know, um, Alex Harmozzi says something almost similar. If you ever listen to his stuff, um, he says, do one thing and do one thing great. Don't try and do a bunch of little things here and there, start a business here, start a business there, invest here, do this there, because we are only human. There are no superheroes that are humans, okay? We can really do one thing well at a time. We all have the same 24 hours in the day. Most of us have families and we have to make food and we have to do laundry. We got a lot of things going on up here. So how can you do multiple things well and be an expert in all those at once? I, I think it's virtually impossible. So just like, you know, Charlie Munger is saying and Alex Hermosi, do one thing and do one thing well. And once you're really good at that one thing, cool. Now use your experience, your expertise, whatever, put that more on the autopilot and learn another thing really well. Same sort of deal with diversification. And then before I get into the second one, uh, sometimes when I mention diversification, people will kind of attack me and say, well, if you're 100% stocks or 100% real estate, you're uh, taking on too much risk. Well, if you're 100% stocks, you probably have a diversified index portfolio. If you're in real estate, I diversify in two different ways. One, all my properties, my goal is to have them more than 10 miles apart. 
So they're pulling tenants from different sources. And then I keep about one third military, one third section eight, one third working or retired. So I've yeah. diversified in my one asset class. The second myth, and this is one I love, I actually heard uh, you and Coach Carson talking about this in a video recently, was uh, the small and mighty investor. The myth is that you need a huge portfolio to be financially free. And as a, as a mother, you've been able to spend a lot of time with your kids with, you don't have hundreds of units. You don't, I don't know if your goal is to even have hundreds of units, but I reached financial freedom with 16 rentals and retired last year, made a couple hundred thousand dollars in profit. And if your goal is to make millions, yes, you're sure you'll probably need a huge portfolio, but if your goal is financial freedom and for most people, a couple hundred thousand dollars coming in that you don't even have to work for as an active job can be financially free with a much smaller portfolio than a lot of people think. I think one thing people forget about when they think they're going to get invest, you know, they're going to get started investing in rental properties and okay, here they go running the numbers. Okay. This house or this, whatever only makes $300 a month. They go, that sucks. I'm going to need a hundred zillion houses to replace my income. And then I got colleges to pay for and kids cars to pay for. And then inflation, that's not enough. What people are forgetting about is the magical unicorn called time. Time is, so magical because the $300 a month cash flow from that property today is only going to go up every single year or every time you get a new tenant when you have rent increases and appreciation. We have eight properties. Here I am. And I only got eight. Not that I'm stopping, but we're very risk uh, averse and we put our own money down into things and we buy one at a time and we fix everything up ourselves. We have a lot of equity in a lot of these properties. We don't refinance. So it's saving, putting in, saving, putting in. Everyone's got their own strategy. That's what works for us. But our very first property that we bought in 2016, it cash flowed around $400 a month at the time. Now it's 900. Same mortgage payment. I hardly talk to my tenants. That's just one. So as time goes by, my properties are good. The ones that I have are going to make more and more and more money. That house rent, the rent went from like 10.50 a month. Now it's 15 something. It'll be to 17, it'll be $2,000 a month at one point in the future. It's only gonna go up. So yeah, 300 bucks a month in the beginning for your first property, no big deal, right? It's not exciting, but just think about time and how much more your property is gonna make you and your mortgage payment virtually stays the same. Right, and you make a really good point. I, I'm like you, I like to save a down payment, buy the next property, save a down payment, buy the next property. The person who's chasing, uh, bragging rights for unit count or size of portfolio is probably going to be more creative with cash out refinances, home equity lines of credits, 1031s to, to scale to a bigger, trying to be as creative as possible. All of my deals are from the MLS, all with conventional loans, all where I saved up and put a down payment. I've never done a home equity line of credit. I've never taken out a cash out refinance. I've never sold to 1031. So yes, I have Less units. I have the 16 units are on we're on seven properties. Since then I've bought one more duplex. So I have eight properties, 18 units without recycling capital. So that's one of the kind of big differences between Michael Zuber and Matt the Lumberjack landlord is yes, they have a hundred plus units each. But in the first 10 years, the margin that that cash flow margin is a lot smaller as they're growing their, their the size of their portfolio. The next myth I kind of wanted to spell, and this is one that bothers me, comes up often, and I think people are missing out on great deals because they keep thinking that this is a thing, is that 1% rule. Yeah. 
there's two things with it. First, it's outdated. So in 2010, 2011, when there were millions of properties being foreclosed on, and you had to filter through hundreds or thousands of deals in your market to find the best ones, it helped to have a filtering system. Is that the case now? Are, are there millions of foreclosures happening every month? And are there thousands of deals in your market you need to filter through, right? For most people, that's not the case. And then the flaw is that doesn't take into account expenses. What if you have an HOA that's $500 a month or no HOA? What if you're in Washington and your taxes are $3,000 a month or you're in New Jersey and they're $16,000 a month or a year? <clears throat> Those expenses have an impact. So the 1% rule, it's flawed. It doesn't take into the metrics I would want to look at. It doesn't work in the current market. And to, to put like the cherry on top of that, not one of my deals met the 1% rule. All of them beat a 10% cash on cash return. So there were deals I wanted to pursue and acquired and then reached financial freedom. If I was waiting to see a 1% rule deal in Washington state where I invest, I wouldn't own one rental yet. Yeah, interesting. I think when it comes to the 1% rule, um, people can make their own rule depending upon the market they live in. And that's after you do your own research, you know what your property taxes are, how much that's gonna cost. Because you know you could be in Colorado and have a 0.32% effective property tax rate and then go to Texas and have it be 2.7, maybe not that high, 2.25. So you know, you uh, the, the rule, the whatever percent rule you go with is gonna change depending upon your market. So you can have a percent rule that you can make up for yourself. So when you are analyzing properties, you can say, you know what, in my market, I, I need to be at the, you know, I can get properties that cash flow at a 0.75 or they need to be at a 1.25. But the rule that there's no 1% rule, one size fits all. The rule is what works for your market with the property taxes and the HOAs. And um, don't forget about um, insure, um, interest rates. I, mean, I must have said interest rates like a hundred times already today. Interest rates, you know, all of those things matter in your, in when you're running your numbers and you can figure out your own percent rule based on your own little market and just do away with the 1% rule as a one size fits all strategy. It's not, it doesn't work. This next myth, I think, is one that stops a lot of people in their tracks. And it's and it's one that I, I think both of us are case studies in, in disproving. Real estate investing is only for the wealthy. You have to have a really high multiple six-figure annual income in order to buy rentals. It's My not? First... You, mean, you mean you don't have to be rich to buy real estate? No, but if you want to be rich, you have to buy real estate. So my first eight years of investing, I don't think, I, I think the most I made in one of those years was 61,000. Almost all of those years were less than 50. The last couple of years investing, once the company I worked at had they demoted me all the way down to president of the company and they realized my rentals were paying me more than they were, they thought to keep me, they would raise my income. Time freedom was more important to me than a high wage. But again, if I was waiting for those high wages to investing to invest, I would have lost a decade. Oh yeah, that is the biggest, that, that I will tell you that holds people back the most. Um, and I think a lot of that is being scared that you're using all your, spending all your pennies on something that is risky and you might lose it. So there is some like, you know, it takes so long to save down payment. And I always preach, you know, if you're looking for a single family that cash flow, you'll be putting all in anywhere from 30 to $50,000 if you want something semi-rent ready. So, okay, 30, 50 grand to save up, that's a lot of money for people and it could take a long time. 
And when we moved here, it, we were a single income household. My husband did not make six figures. He barely does now. And, you know, so we did all this on less than a six figure income while having, you know, at the time we had two kids, now we have three and we managed to buy rental properties. And when we moved here, we've been here 10 years in Memphis. Um, I remember telling him, Blake, I want to buy a rental house. And he's like, well, Casey, we just bought a freaking fixer. So, and you're not working. And well, where are we going to find money for a rental house? And I'm like, dang, you know, so you do what you do and you don't complain about it. You don't say, I'm going to wait until we make more money. You say, how can I get money now? What can I do to change the situation instead of blaming external factors or creating excuses? So I started an Etsy shop. I like to do crafts. I'm a girl. So it took me about uh, two years, 18 months or so. And I had saved up $20,000 from that, you know, selling $5 items, $5. Okay. Um, some were 25. The most expensive things I ever sold was 50 bucks. And there wasn't tons of those. And uh, that was a lot of time taken to do that, but it's sacrifice and you do what you have to do. So less than a six figure income, stay at home, mom, you know, we knew nobody here. I had no financial help. No one ever gave us a dollar. And I started my own little thing to save up 20 grand. It took me two years. But you can do it. Where there's a will, there's a way. And you don't need to have a lot of money to start. And that property is the one that now brings us $900 a month in cash flow. Freaking awesome. Yeah, that's I, I, I still have the first investment duplex that I house hacked by moving into. And it was about the same timeline. I had gotten laid off from law enforcement because of the 2008 recession, right? Because when there's a recession, we don't need cops anymore. And I started teaching people how to drive trucks, making $17 an hour. I was a single parent with three kids, found out about $89,000 in bad debt I didn't know existed until the divorce. So that was my starting position. And I'm a nerd. So instead of doing something on Etsy, I played online yeah. video games, played World of Warcraft, and sold things online to make three to $500 a month. Took two years of working overtime, side hustle, and saving to get that first duplex. That's kind of the myth that a lot of new investors have is they think they're just going to start today, own a rental next week, own three rentals in six months. Both of us, it was almost two years to acquire just the first rental. That's the time commitment that is, is involved. And if you don't do those first two years, you don't get the benefits of the, the 10 year mark either. The last two that I want to talk about here, these are ones that kind of irritate people. So I saved them to the end. So the people that, that don't like me already left the video earlier. The first one uh, applies to people who want to retire early, not to people who want to never invest and retire when they're sold, they might not be able to enjoy it. But if you want to retire early, I think one of the biggest mistakes and myths out there is that retirement accounts are good. I think they're counterproductive. There's three people who get wealthy off of your retirement accounts and none of them are us, right? No, the, the government wealthy people that do. Right, the government's gonna make more money in taxes in the future. Your employer uses it as a retention and recruiting tactic. And the people who manage the accounts make money, whether you make money or lose money. You put a time delay on there. It's not paying you cash flow now. I think if, if your goal is to retire early, so I put the caveat on there. Uh, if you work at a company that has a match, I do suggest you do with the match because math says it's free money. But if you're choosing jobs between a company that has a retirement plan and one that doesn't, compare the wages. I've ran several companies and whenever you want to put together a retirement plan, you lower the wage you're paying so you could take the amount of the match. It's the same compensation. And so I get a lot of hate when I say that because a lot of people who are investing are also in the financial independence retire early community where retirement accounts and maxing out and 
Roth conversions and all of that kind of stuff is, is language that I don't even want to understand because I wanted to retire early. And I will say this last thing on this part. If I had money locked up in retirement accounts, I would probably still have to work. Yes. So I'm with you for the most part. So my caveat is if you don't otherwise plan on investing in anything, do your 401k, do your IRA, you know, um, don't not invest in anything to keep the cash. Definitely put it somewhere. And if you don't know what to do, just do something, put something in your 401k, you know, um, when we started investing in rental properties, we stopped contributing to our IRAs. We stopped. And now for my husband's 401k, we do the employer match and we will, we will take, we will reduce his income by his take home by putting it in the 401k um, for taxes, because if we make too much money, then we have to spend more, you know, pay more in taxes. So we'll do that. But it's never like, let's max, we're going to save it in a 401k. Let's, that's priority. No, priority now is real estate. And we don't do the IRAs. 401k is just at a minimum. It's just, okay, fine. We put them in there. We won't notice. It's never something substantial. And we are not looking to max it out. Uh, we would just do it for tax reasons or whatever my CPA says to do. Because if you don't do this, you're going to be paying Uncle Sam tons of money. Um, but I, I think that it's a huge misconception. And a lot of people are stickler with investing in retirement accounts. Um, and they depend on them for the wrong reasons, just like Social Security. And one of the reasons I held that towards the end of the video is because even when we explain it that way, if you don't invest in anything, have a retirement account. But if you find a better way to get a better return that actually gives you cash flow now, maybe that's the right choice. Yeah. I still get hate comments. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one where I get the most attacks is, and I will put a caveat on this as well. There are times it makes sense to have a LLC investing in real estate. If you have partners, an LLC is designed to protect you from someone else's mistakes. If you are using lending that requires an LLC, hard money, DSCR, asset-based lending, sure, have an LLC. But I see a lot of brand new investors who don't even have a rental yet ask a question in the Choose FI community or the Bigger Pockets forums, and a bunch of people jump in who don't own rentals that say you want an LLC for every property, you need it for tax benefits, you need it for asset protection, and none of that happens from having an LLC. It's designed to protect you from someone else's mistakes. The two counties and now three counties that I invest in, they don't pierce the veil like you can see. You can Google piercing the veil is more and more common. They actually disregard all LLCs using the IRS 1996 precedents of all sole proprietor LLCs are disregarded entities, meaning they don't exist. So there's no asset protection. There's no tax benefits. Literally quoting the 1996 IRS <laughs> decision that they're all disregarded entities, meaning it has no effect on your taxes whatsoever. So I'll say, for the times that it makes sense to have an LLC, sure. Or if you have dozens of rentals and you want to sleep better by putting them in LLCs and you have the cash flow to waste on that, go for it. But it's that brand new investor that doesn't realize how many roadblocks they're putting in front of them by saying, can't house hack, worse interest rate, higher down payment, higher insurance costs, more likely to get sued. If you're in a state like California, a single family house, house with an ADU or duplex is not rent controlled. Unless you put it in an LLC, now it's rent controlled. The things that stop an investor in their tracks might be things they don't even need to do yet. So that's the last myth I want to bust is that to invest in real estate, you don't have to have an LLC. I know a guy. He's, uh, he, he's, he's an old guy. He lives down the street and he's also in my investor group. 
And um, it was cool that I found he lived in my neighborhood. I thought that was really neat when I saw him there. Um, anyways, I've known him for quite a few years now. And he owns, I think, like 200 houses and an apartment complex in Chattanooga. He owns that with somebody else. And he's like, yeah, I don't I don't have an LLC. I'm like, you don't? You know? And he's like, no. I, and I, matter of fact, I think I just upped my umbrella to $5 million. I'm like, just recently? You know? So even I was, like, um, surprised to hear that. Now, we did put our houses in an LLC last December, but not for protection, but because I needed to take the real estate professional designation status so I could get more write-offs. I get, you know, for, for tax rates, so I have to pay Uncle Sam so much. Otherwise, I have my umbrella, and I don't have, you know, one LLC for every property. It's not in the state of Wyoming and a trust and all these things. Because the more you learn about LLCs, the more you go, oh, they aren't helping at all unless I do X, Y, Z. And if I do X, Y, Z, it's going to hinder me from selling my property and from doing a lot of other things with it. So it's a double-edged sword. And for people that just go out and randomly get an LLC, make sure you know what you're doing first. Talk to the CPA that works with, um, you know, mostly has real estate investor clients and talk to a real estate attorney um, who specializes in real estate, not any attorney, a real estate attorney, and also a CPA that specializes in helping people with real estate investments. They're the ones that are going to be able to give you the best advice. And it's true. Like in California, it costs you $800 a year to read in your LLC. How much cash flow are you getting from your house? Like, is it worth it? Pros and cons. Now you got to have someone do your taxes. You know, now you can't represent yourself in court. So there's a lot of negatives to having an LLC. And I'm not, you know, super happy that I have that. Like, I don't really want to do that, but I did. And, you know, so I didn't have to pay so much out of pocket, but that was the only reason, not for protection. And that's what people want it for. So um, this might be something you want to, might want to look into. Uh, you don't need the LLC to take tax professional status. Matt, the lumberjack landlord's spouse did it yeah. and they did a cost segregation study. Six figure yeah. return. Still I without did cost segregation. I did, they did yeah. some cost yeah. yeah, so that's that's when it makes sense, especially if your spouse is making money and then you can use your write-offs against that yeah. W-2 income. I heard so, too, cost seg percentage is going down next year. Ouch. So like, I don't know if you heard about that, but so people that bought a property this year, um, you could take a larger percentage for cost segregation. Next year, it's even less. So it's like they're kind of like getting rid of the advantages to doing cost segregation. You're not able to write off as much of the depreciation, which sucks. So we were really hoping to get a lake house this year so we could take the more depreciation, but I don't think it's going to happen. No, you're, and you're in a situation where it really makes sense, where you, your yeah. spouse, you said recently started making six figures. So then you can use it against them. For, for most investors out there, cost segregation really doesn't matter because- when I had a W-2, I couldn't qualify for the real estate professional thing because I didn't work more in real estate than I did in that. And I did, I still yeah. don't work 751 hours a year. I make two hours a month. That doesn't equal yeah. 750. Right. So uh, this has been fun filling in for Zuber. I hope he has a great time on his trip. I look forward to him coming back. Oh, I'm supposed to end it. Edit that part out, Marco. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs>